Welcome to Darshan Talks, powered by the Kulkarni Law Firm. On this episode, we're joined by Dave Bulger, CEO and founder of Tuzag. These are the topics we will be discussing. What are large language models? What is the current state of generative AI? Is there any value to having large language models? Who owns generative AI text? And should the government regulate AI? Stick around and let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Darshan Talks. I'm here with the ever popular Dave Bolger. Tell hey, us a little bit more about yourself and what we're going to talk about. I'm Dave Bolger, uh, founder and chief operating officer of Tuzag. Uh, we're a conversational AI platform. Uh, so if you want to build a meaningful digital concierge, uh, we've got your platform. My background is in uh, old school artificial intelligence, uh, what the guys with the gray beards call AI, um, behavioral science, and I went to film school. So uh, my my career has been about telling stories uh, at scale to the individual, right? So when we think about artificial intelligence principles, right? Machine learning, natural language processing, neural networks, right? Those sorts of things. You know, AI has started to take on, because now everybody does AI, right? No, everybody has algorithms. And, and just because you've done some predictive modeling doesn't mean it's actually artificially intelligent. It's like you had some smart kids put really cool stuff together and the machine does what you tell it to do. So when I, so, you know, I think there's a line of demarcation um, over people who, who, you know, had to figure out structurally how to get the computer to think basically for itself. And, you know, the, the kind of, of approach of, well, we'll just call what we're doing AI and people who don't know any better um, won't be able to tell the difference, right? Not in a nefarious way, but, you know, the marketplace is, is really excited about co-opting um, terms, right? Like Hollywood likes high concept films. So it's, we're the same way. I, I love that you said that. And it's actually a really good introduction to the conversation we're going to have, which is I'm of the strong belief that what we're seeing is not AI by any stretch of the definition. It is what, what's commonly referred to as LLMs, large language models. Exactly. And all the system knows is what word the string after the word that you had. It doesn't actually know what it's saying. So while it can sound coherent and it can sound really profound, it yeah. doesn't know the, the point of the profoundness it's, it's expounding. Those no. are some huge words, but, uh, sure. uh, but the point being, they, they don't actually know what they're saying. So you're using things like natural language processing, which really just means it can break down the, the sounds to tell you what those words are. And then you can use machine learning. It's not in the realm of magic, which is what things like, Quantum, uh, qu- uh, quantum computing, for example, yeah. is going to go, go into, because we don't understand quantum computing right now, though we have, technically speaking, a yeah. working quantum computer on Google headquarters. Yeah. Um, but we, as far as I know, there is no such thing as a system that truly is a machine, but understands what it's saying. So it understands right from wrong and not, not necessarily from a moral perspective. It literally doesn't know if the words it's uttering are right or wrong. Sure. I would just say that we are several years away from the singularity. 
Sure. Um, right. So like you start to get like I'm pushing 60 and I'm like, I, I wouldn't mind having my consciousness absorbed by the computer. Could we hurry up with this? But that's not really where we are. Right. The These are excellent tools in the hands of smart people. Right. I forget who who made the quote about, you know, anything of of certain technical sophistication is indistinguishable from magic. And I think that's where we are, except that you don't see a lot of people with with comp science engineering backgrounds screaming AI at the top of their lungs, quite like the, the marketplace who's looking for something sexy to invest in. Um, you know, and that's 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 an issue. But you think about what you just said, right? So, so machine learning, predictive modeling. Let's. That's what mach, machine learning is 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 a a way of writing algorithms to predict a result based on on given uh, inputs, right? So the large language models, which are fantastic. Let's not the the one mistake to make on the on the crotchety old man side of things is is that this is really cool and really useful in the hands of, of proper uh, technicians, right? And so, so we're going to see this continue at an exponential uh, rate of, of goodness, um, but we're still a generation away from, from where people thought we were when ChatGPT uh, introduced uh, version 3 you know, last fall. And so, but that doesn't make it less useful, doesn't make it less cool. It's just not a panacea. And I think healthcare is a, and the life sciences in general are a place where the rubber meets the road on this. It's okay if the White Castle bot gets your order wrong, right? You might be pissed that you didn't get your your little tiny square uh, burgers the way you wanted, but you're not, no one's really hurt, right? In the life sciences, we use these as tools that experts can leverage to, to help inform their decision-making process, not replace their decision-making process. I mean, it's, it's a good jump-off point. To me, it's, it prevents me from having to spend 15 hours thinking through what some of the basic things that I've sort of almost assumed in my head it calls me out on those, brings them to the forefront. But um, I do. I use AI quite often to um, to do a good job with things like um, I, I want to create a presentation. Give me the top five issues I should probably be raising. Yeah. Not too bad at that. However, what you start seeing is that those top five issues they're really basic, and anyone with a tenth grade working knowledge should be able to pull that up with maybe about ten hours of research. What it cannot do is bring in that PhD level knowledge, yeah. the, the knowledge of experience. Like it, it, what it has been exceptionally good at doing so far is coding, but that's yeah. because it's a bunch of coders sitting out there going, we want to improve yeah. on this problem. One of the things I was worried about is, oh, in two years, lawyers will disappear. In two years, doctors will disappear. Yeah. There might be an eventual um, removal of or, or limitation on, on what functions each of these roles perform, or yeah. an evolution of what of these what each of these roles perform. But I'm not actually seeing any big um, sort of 
these careers stopping. I'll give you an example of that. Yeah. Um, one, one of my favorite things was, oh, we're going to get rid of, uh, say, journalists. That, that was one of the big uh, yeah. comments I'd heard. No. I, I agree with you in the no, and I'll tell you why I agree. So two things happened. So um, one was a journalist actually used a AI model to summarize another article that it had. Yeah. I don't know if you heard about it. Did you hear about this case? Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For those people who don't know. Um, so he summarized the case. Unfortunately, the, the case, what it, the summary did was it focused on this guy who had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And it landed up being inaccurate. And the journalist didn't double check. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I've done that a few times where I've just sort of relied on the summary because yeah. I'm trying to make a bigger point. Yeah. But the result of that in the case of journalists is that there is a larger context and the guy is now suing the journalist for libel. Yeah. And, and I would argue that at that specific point, I'm not sure you have First Amendment right protections to say that, oh, I have the right to sort of make mistakes. No, you have a, you have a duty to check that you're right. Yes. So the, the question then becomes, as you apply it to the life sciences, as you apply yeah. it to health, uh, can you actually depend on the results that come out? I think it'll give you a direction of thinking. Yeah. Um, but that, but I think you have to be careful about even that. One of the greatest parts about being a uh, human being is yeah. the ability to think in a thousand different directions. Yeah. Once someone decides the agenda, now whether or not you like it, you will start thinking along that agenda and you've given up a thousand different possibilities. Oh, absolutely. So I'll give you two metaphors that I think are applicable for where we sit today with generative AI, right? And the first is generative AI right now is that extrovert at a, a dinner party who's had two martinis. And so he confidently spews BS, but you only know it's BS if you knew what the right answers were, right? And so who gathers around this guy and brings him the third uh, martini are people who don't know he's full of crap, right? right? right. So that's one metaphor. And that's kind of where we are right now is, yeah. is people are attracted to the sexiness of generative AI, um, irrespective of the, the actual accuracy of what's coming. The second metaphor is sort of where, where generative AI is in its maturation process, Right. Think of, 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 of where we sit right now in the field of generative AI as, as basically generative AI is in seventh grade right now, right? And so without, you know, starting a, a, a war on the value of a liberal arts education, right? What do you learn in, in a, you know, in a, in a liberal arts program? You learn how to do systems thinking, right? You learn how to bring disparate thoughts together and create a new thought from those, right? Not plagiarism, but basically I am learning a bunch of things in a variety of arenas that I can use to apply when I'm considering a response to your question. And, and generative AI is nowhere near that, right? Will it get there? Absolutely, right? It's not Doogie Howser though. It's not going to college at, at, at seventh grade, right? So we've got to train it. And so the ability for us to continue, and you're seeing a lot of folks now, and I think this is great, working on their own large language models, 
right? And and I think that is super important. So, you know, one day you're going to be able to not pick from six different large language models when you're informing your thing, but from a hundred. And there's going to be a merchandising on those that 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 matters, right? The the you know, this is where I think we run into issues of scraping the internet is not an entirely good idea. Scraping refereed sections of the internet, right, is a good is a good thing. The challenge now becomes one of copyright law. So, you know, how do we keep the the generative AI moving forward in an era where more and more sites are going to say, well, you can't scrape us for our IP, you know? So as a content person, I'm like, yay, um, you know, content's intellectual property, again, not just words on paper that we could replace that sports writer. What with. does AI actually represent right now? And I, what do, and that's where we are with generative AI. Yes. No one's arguing that it's right necessarily. It's no. just able to string sentences together. And how cool is that? And that's the, that's the standard we're at. The other thing that came to mind for those people who are listening, are trying to understand what does this have to do with, um, with life sciences, we talked a little bit about copyright law, for example. Um, I do want to point out, um, copyright law is often country specific. There are things like the Berne Convention that applies global, well, to a large part of the globe. Um, but different countries are dealing with it differently. For example, I want to say this was Japan. And again, don't quote me on this, but I believe Japan came out and said, we're not going to enforce copyright law for scraping. Um, On the other hand, I think um, the US came out and said that um, AI cannot generate copyrighted works. Yeah. So my point being, they're going to be different nuances. I, I think the other direction, I think Israel's taking its own view on it as well. So different countries are going to deal with it differently. And then you've got countries like India and China, where copyright law is more of a suggestion than a uh, law. Is there a value to to having a hundred different large language models? And the the reason I'm asking that question is there is such a thing as choice fatigue. And that's what I'm worried about. You you mentioned, for example, this, um, a commentator who who can bring his own flavor. But we've sort of done that, haven't we? I mean, I can go to ChatGPT right now and tell it, give me this sentence in the language of Donald Trump. And you get all that flavor in that. It's superb to sort of see it spoken in that way. I don't think it's going to be that that long before I can go, tell me the story in, in a way that Brad Pitt would say it. Is- uh, you know, it's it's that's mimicry, right? So give me something in the style of... Yeah. Right. Is it, it's like a good jazz band. Right. And somebody says, you know, hey, you know, play something like Count Basie would. Right. And so you stack your chords a little differently in your role right now. Play it like Dave Brubeck. And suddenly the time signature changes. But the musician is just mimicking the artistry of the, the people you've provided. Right. Sure. Um, the the where this gets interesting is in saying again, back to the life sciences, right? The I need a language model that is only pulling things from certain white listed sources, 
right? And again, this is where you started. This is where my head goes with the copyright is like, if I tell it, you can only answer this question by developing relationships with just for simplicity's sake, uh, Mayo Clinic, um, HealthWise, you can, you know, and to a certain extent, especially if you want the answer to be cancer, WebMD, right? So, so I have now constrained where I'm training the model, right? This is the whole supervised, unsupervised learning thing, right? I need to constrain the supervised learning against a series of places I respect so that I can be more guaranteed that what it's going to say is going to pass muster. Understanding here is, is how am I construct? I need to be able to, to have my knowledge base pass muster. And, you know, that's why we use what we call constrained language model, where we're basically writing everything that goes in the knowledge base we have written. We have used generative AI to kind of speed up the writing process, but our subject matter experts, before anything goes in the knowledge base so that our concierge can say something, it has to have gone through all of the edits. I can export that library and provide it to you know, a, a lawyer for legal review, to a group of, of folks for medical review, right? And they can make edits and comments and we can change the knowledge base because we control all of the given circumstances. As soon as we relinquish the control of the knowledge base to a source where we can't verify where it got its information, then we start to run afoul of the lawyers and the doctors. Right. And we can't do that and still provide appropriate uh, end user information. Is yeah. it possible to train a system on language using Reddit and using all these different websites and then tell it that the information should be pulled from a WebMD? And the reason I ask that question is how does the system know the difference between sub, um, subject matter information and information it uses to actually construct language? Yeah. Oh, no, I think you could totally do that, right? The, okay, yeah. okay. Well, to the extent that, and this is where I think the industry is going to start to catch on. Um, again, I, I love the fact that content is about to be king again. And so, you know, Reddit's, I mean, well, Reddit's an own. Oh, it's its own beast right now. Got its own problems for, for all of the kind of reasons we're talking about, right? Is, is Reddit, you know, they need to, to get paid for, just like Twitter for all of the people who are, are leveraging their core IP to get eyeballs and participants. The problem is, is you start shutting those off and all the content creators take a step back, right? And that's where we, we have to figure out how do we reach the content creators and create these models so that everybody's happy? You and I, we write things. It is our intellectual property that we are sharing. Right. For somebody to come along behind the scenes, pull out our knowledge and present it, you know, without citation, without reference, it gets hard. It's going to get difficult to train these models um, moving forward because people are going to realize the aftermarket value of their content. 
Talk yeah. to me about your idea on content is king when we know that it's unsustainable. This is the problem that the Writers Guild's having with, with, right. with the studios now, right? Is, is streaming came along and nobody knows how to monetize it, right? right? I think there is a great monetization of large language models that's going to happen. Right. And so, again, to use the the when when you make a movie, right, somebody writes it. There are actors. There are all of these people behind the scenes that make them look great. All of those people have to get paid. Right. For the content. And now we have an entirely new distribution mechanism. How does the right what, what happens to residuals? So if you think about that from a large language model perspective, I want residuals on my intellectual property that went into training your model. We're going to figure that out one day. It's going to be lawyers. It won't be content creators. But that's where I say content is king. This is an entirely new avenue for my, let's say I have a, let's say someone reads my medium stuff. I don't write on it, so they can't. But let's say I did and they do. Right. And then that starts to show up in a bunch of different large language models. And it says, I'm not saying don't use it. I just want to cut. We're going to start getting content that is self-created is going to be very, very interesting. And I somehow we're, we've swerved away from life sciences and gotten into filmmaking. But I think the concept Mostly is a metaphor. Yeah. 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 I, I think the, the problem is going to be the same. Let's say I am a generic pharma company okay. and I am looking to bring my product to market. I've never had the money or the wherewithal to really commercialize my products. I've always been cheapest, uh, cheapest person on the table, bringing my products in as cheaply as possible. Sure. Tomorrow I can take an AI, tell it, copy the brand website for my new drug, change the language a little bit. But it's basically the same website. Yeah. Do they have a claim to that language? Or can you say, it's a new website, it's AI generated, there's no copyright, you're good to go. And I think that's the same conversation we're having. We're just talking Absolutely. about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly, again, where is the root of the intellectual property of the words? So, yeah, I mean, you know, I did a in, in in preparation for this. So I'm on Jardians, which is a type two diabetes drug, and I asked um, Chat GPT about it. Yeah. I promise you that most of the the words that came back initially were scraped right off the brand website. Yeah, it just it 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 kind of still has that hmm, brand smell to it, right? So. So, you know, and then I began to ask follow-up questions where it was obviously going outside of the, the, the brand website. But if I'm the Jardians folks, it's like, that's my stuff. Yeah, yeah. But now the Jardians folks may say, I don't really care. Take it. Because that, you're, they're, you're they're helping true. someone do it. Yeah. But I think that um, what I would be worried about if I was the Jardians folk, yeah. uh, is the idea that it may not use the language properly. And I see this all the time with the marketing copy I get when I'm asked to review marketing copy. Um, I'll get something where the marketers try to, um, they they might have space limitations. So they will say, 
this drug is used to treat diabetes. And the indication is this drug is used to treat diabetes in patients who fail the first two lines of treatment. Yeah. And, and to the marketers, it's just, well, it's still treating diabetes. And I'm going, it's a third line treatment, not a first line treatment. And yeah, there's yeah. a fundamental difference between those two. And ChatGPT doesn't care. Yeah. On the other hand, it, the FDA might. And I think it's really interesting. The FDA put out a, a um, initial thought process, almost a white paper on how they're going to use, think about AI. I personally think it's a mistake because I don't think AI knows what it's going to be in three years. So the okay. FDA, everyone, everyone's always asking government agencies to opine early. And I think it's a huge mistake because, and, and usually government agencies are better at this because they'll just go, um, we're, they're just quiet for a while. And people hate that because it seems like, uh, it, it seems like they are stifling innovation because they're so quiet on it. Yeah. The problem is, I think it's actually the other way around. I think it's actually helping innovation because you're not, the moment the FDA says, this is what's allowed, everyone's going to start thinking about just that. Yeah. Now, if you if the FDA is silent, uh, innovation is going to happen in all directions, and then it's going to naturally coalesce in a different yeah. in one direction, as Absolutely. opposed to the artificial coalition uh, coalescence that happens with the regulation. Yep. And I think that's to me the AI uh, guidance, AI uh, white paper that they put out is great as a concept because it helps people think. But what they've created is a natural is a artificial coalescence. That may not be where we would have naturally gone in the future. Right now, generative AI is an excellent tool for content creators, but it is a tool. It is not a replacement. And I think, again, we're, we're a couple of generations, technology generations, not, not human generations, away from anybody who creates life sciences content for a living having to worry about being replaced. Thank you for listening to this episode of Darshan Talks. Remember, the information we discuss is for educational purposes only and is not legal advice. For additional valuable insights and updates, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter at darshantalks.com.